term that's not even used very often. A couple. All right, um, we're going to be in John chapter 5 tonight in our Life of Messiah uh, Bible studies. We're going through all four gospel accounts uh, through the life of Messiah from a Jewish perspective. And again, I always point folks to ariel.org if you want more information on uh, Dr. Frutenbaum's ministry. And uh, they have a ministry outreach to the Jewish people as well as to Gentiles and um, tremendous ministry. And obviously we support them on a monthly basis. So uh, we're, we're, we're big fans. All right. Um, John chapter 5, we're in the life of the Lord Jesus and we've been studying how he's had a rising conflict with the Pharisees over rabbinic Judaism versus scriptural Judaism. And this time it's... Um, the rules that the rabbis had made is over uh, an issue of the Sabbath day, and we've been looking at a lame man who is at the pool of Bethesda with a whole bunch of folks, and remember everybody around there thought if when an angel moved the water, if they got there first, they'd get healed, and um, we found out last time that uh, after Jesus, as he does this healing, that the man does not seek out Jesus, that Jesus seeks him out, and the man has no idea who Jesus is, but uh, Jesus heals him, demonstrated there was no faith required. Uh, but this week we're going to move on from his physical healing that we looked at last week to his spiritual healing. Uh, the man had been healed and does exactly as um, this guy that he pretty much a stranger to him told him, take up thy bed and walk. So we're going to pick things up in John chapter 5 and verse number 10 where the Bible says, The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day, it is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. Now I've said this many times, but sometimes I just to make sure you know some of you assume aside but in John in particular of the gospel writers likes to identify the the Jewish uh, spiritual and civil leadership as the Jews um, there are some folks who are very anti-semitic who use John's gospel to say how you know Jesus hated the Jews you know and it's very intellectually dishonest uh, in, in that approach. No, John himself was a Jew. Um, unfortunately, there are many self-hating Jews in America today. I don't understand how they support any rate. I'm, I'm going to get on. I need to start. I'm getting sidetracked. Um, but the Jews just mean the religious leaders, probably specifically here, the Pharisees, they would have been the law keepers, the enforcers of it. And this man picks up his bed and walks. And according to uh, the, the rabbi's rules, he had violated the rules. And the religious leaders immediately let him know about it. Um, I, I thought it was amazing that these religious guys, they see the rules violation and not the healing. Isn't that amazing? 
They, they see that, that right away. Um, you know, I, I wondered, I thought to myself, I wonder if it even occurred at the moment to the lame man that he was breaking a rule. Now, it it kind of reminds me, if I could use an analogy that I think has some, some application to, it, it, it's fun to have younger Christians in a church. You ever know anybody, especially someone who got saved as an adult, somebody that was in their mid to late 20s or 30s, or like Brother Rick, who's with the Lord, Rick got saved when he was 69. You know, people a little bit older, you know, and, and they've lived the life by their own rules and been a mess and, blah, blah, and they come and they find Christ and, you know, and they're excited about it. And one thing that I like about new Christians is they don't know all of our rules. They don't know them. You know, they, they, they're just gonna, but they, they know one thing once they were broken and now they're cured. And you know, they, <laughs> um, sometimes Christians will only judge their appearance or their language or something about them. And that's the first thing that people judge. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's, I understand. Um, did God have guidelines for the Sabbath day? Yeah, there, there were guidelines. You read, you know, God took it pretty seriously. I, I do not mean to be minimalizing for the nation of Israel their observance of the Sabbath. But the, the rabbis had taken it way too far and made their own rules, not God's rules, and now they were enforcing them as if God set them. And sometimes, you know, things that are not ultimately scriptural per se, they may be our preference areas. Churches as a group become, that's our preference area, and woe on anybody who comes in and violates them. And you get some new Christian who comes in, and they don't know any better. You know, I love, I love when I, to listen to a new Christian, you know, again, someone from, they got saved as an adult, to hear them pray. You know, how many times have I had newer Christians say to me, oh, pastor, I know I don't know how to pray. And I was going to say, no, 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 we don't know how to pray. Because you're just talking to God. Rick was great about that, wasn't he? I mean, many, many of you who knew Rick. Um, <laughs> Brock, you're probably, you were probably the, the number one recipient of, of Rick's prayers on men's prayer every, you know. He would pray something like, Lord, you know how much Brock said he hurt my feelings. And God, you know that Brock's really a nice guy. And so God, I ask you to bless him, even if he was a jerk. And um, <laughs> I, I'm sure that, that probably exact prayer was said one Sunday, one uh, Tuesday, one right, right, <laughs> But Rick would just pray what he thought. And he used to tell me, and I'd say, no, Rick, don't change a thing, you know. Um, but it, I think one of the demonstrations of where our spiritual heart is, is when we see somebody who's excited about Jesus Christ in their life, that, that, that instead of seeing as the primary thing, that excitement of their faith, instead we see the areas that they're breaking, what we perceive, and we might even be right. They may be breaking rules, but it's not a heart issue. And I think we'd do better as a church and as Christian if we would, when someone comes to know Christ, if we'd be more celebratory and, and understand their little babies. I know, you know, um, when my sister, my sister has four boys and I, my Jenny and I used to watch them all the time. And I remember the very, this, this, I, this, I shouldn't be telling the story. This is an A-list story for a Wednesday night. Um, but, oh, well, started it now, right? Um, I, the first time that I watched my number one nephew, you know, so the first one I had, you know, the first nephew I had, and 
we lived kind of outside of town a little bit, and Jenny and uh, my sister Meg decided they wanted to go run into town for something. I don't know where y'all were going. I have no idea, but they decided it was a good idea to leave me home with baby. You know, he was, I don't know, what was Jeremiah, a few months old, six months old maybe, you know, and they leave. And my sister was on one of those kicks. You know, everybody has one of those kicks. They've got to decide if they want to use real diapers because it ends up being cheaper than the disposable ones. And then after you live with that for a little bit, you go, this was a dumb idea. Um, but if you like real diapers, I'm happy for you. But she was in that kick. So I, the boys got real diapers. on. I, you know, they weren't gone five minutes and this kid wets his pants all over the place. And, of course, we just changed him. He won't need to be changed. Just entertain him while we're gone. Yeah, yeah, that, how did that go? And uh, this is how it went. I, so I, I so I can't leave him like that. They come back. I'm in trouble. And so I plop him up there on the changing table, and I'm doing the best. I'm doing the best that I can. I'm doing the best that I can. And I, I get the old one off, and I get the new one underneath there, and I put his little butt down. And right about that time, he pees like Water Fountain City all over me. Yeah, can I get a witness? You've been there, Rob? Yeah. Yes. So, Jeremiah, if you're watching this, yes, you did that to me. Um, you know, I, I, I want to make sure that I celebrate um, when, when someone comes to faith in Christ. You know, they, yeah, there are some rules. Yes, we got to grow them in Christ. But I don't want that to be the first thing that I see is what I, the, the areas of their life that I think they got to change, which are legitimate. The first thing I want to see is if they say they're, they're, they want to come in and testify, I once was, you know, unsaved and now I'm saved. I once was on my way to hell and now I'm on my way to heaven. The first thing I want to see is a rejoicing spirit with them. I want to see the healing before the breaking of rules. Now, I love how this guy answers his critics. Look in verse number 11. He goes, he answered them. He that made me whole, the same said unto me, take up thy bed and walk. The, the, he goes, the, the man that, that healed me told me to do this. And, you know, I can imagine that he says this with the idea of, you know, I would look at him and say, if you were lame for 38 years, not 38 minutes, not 38 days or 38 months, 38 years. And I don't know how long he'd been laying there at the pool of Bethesda hoping to get healed. It probably had been several years. If you had been in that condition and now all of a sudden you can walk. I think the guy that came up to me and said, Here, here's, the, here's the deal. Um, this is what I want you to do. I think I'd do the same thing too, wouldn't you? Um, I, I, and yet, the, look at the response of the religious leaders. We continue to see their response in, in verse number 12. Then asked they uh, him, what man is that which said unto thee, take up thy bed and walk? So again, they still don't want to talk about how he got healed. They, they, they now want to talk about who it was that did it. They didn't care about this guy. They didn't care that he'd been made well. And, you know, I had some, there was one commentary that said, well, the guy, the Pharisees probably didn't know, you know, uh, so they just, they just saw some guy carrying his hide a bed through the, you know, in, you know, and it was Passover, uh, I, I think that's ridiculous. This guy had been laying there 38 years. He probably looked the part. He probably smelled the part. He'd probably been there a long time. They were right there at the pool of Bethesda. Anybody, unless you were a complete moron, knew what people were gathered around the pool of Bethesda and why they were there. And so I, I would not give them a pass on this. And instead, they don't want to know who healed you. They want to know who's the guy that told you to break the rules. You know, I, I think people would be far more attracted to our faith if we celebrated the guy who makes us whole um, than 
you know, look at that. You know, I, again, I am not, please do not take away, there, we need to be changed into his image. There, that, I'm, I'm, there, there's no argument with that, but that's a, that's a long-term <laughs> work of God. Sanctification is not easy, is it, Brother Rob? It, there's ups and downs, we fail. But they didn't really, what this really reveals is they're looking right past this guy. They, they don't care about him. They only care about defending their precious rules. You know, that, that, I, I don't ever want to become a church that has got such a critical attitude. You know, that somebody comes in and looks a little different. That's why DT, you know, when the first time he came walking in the back doors of his church, and we were like 30 of us, so when you came walking in back in those days, you came walking in. And I remember thinking, who is that? Who is, you know, the Hell's Angel guy? That, who, let, who let the Hell's Angels in? Um, you know, who let this guy in? And then he's got this little wife next to him that looks so nice, and turned out she was nice, and turns out I wasn't all that much wrong. Um, <laughs> uh, but... I don't want to, I don't want to have that kind of spirit. Uh, verse 13, notice it goes on and it says, and he that was healed wist not who it was for Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. The man still couldn't tell him because he didn't know. They, uh, who is it that broke our rules? And he goes, I don't know. And he looked around. Now you got to, again, this is where I think the context of this feast was probably Passover. Huge crowds would have been gathered around there. Remember, this was the pool that fed. They usually used water to, in the temple and different things. So there, there it had been a center of activity area. And, and uh, he looks around and Jesus has kind of melted into the crowd. Now, one of the questions I had for myself is, why does Jesus, if you want to say disappear, why does he do that? Why doesn't Jesus stink, stick around and defend the man at the point of his healing? Anybody got any thoughts on that? Why do you think he just disappeared? Does that, does, that, does that bother you at all? I mean, I'm one of these guys, I think about these things, and I'm going, you know, Jesus knew what he did. Jesus, as we've talked about, chose to heal this specific man on this specific date, you know, on a Passover, on the Sabbath. He did it for a specific you know, purpose that he's demonstrating their rules are man-made. There's, you know, in addition to first and foremost, healing a lame man, well, all these things. And now he's not there. Anybody? Nobody has any thoughts on that. Nobody has any thoughts on that. Okay. Um, they, they, Jesus wanted the guy to defend himself. And then what, what about the Lord? He, and defend Jesus, okay. And I, which to a point, I guess he does. He goes, I don't know who this guy is. I just know he healed me. <laughs> uh, pretty cool. Anybody else? Yeah, Jerry? He could actually just have been there and legitimately it wasn't that Jesus, you know, although, um, what are we at? Verse 13, uh, da, da, da. Jesus had conveyed himself away. That's the phrase that gets me. It seems like Jesus withdrew intentionally. But, the reality is even if Jesus wasn't trying, uh, he could have, you know, just been in the crowd. There were so many there, but it just seems like I know if, if God would have used me to do a healing, I'd have had my arm around the guy all the way out saying, hey, tell everybody, <laughs> you, know? Uh, you know, so, but he, he doesn't. And, you know, I, I thought maybe Jesus wanted the Pharisees to have to make a choice as to their response to this. Removing himself is, you know, they were already becoming tuned into 
who he was. Maybe he didn't want, you know, he just wanted them to look at this miracle that even they had written in their writings that the, the Messiah would do these kind of things. He wanted them to maybe see that and have to deal with it as opposed to getting sidetracked on, oh, there's that, there's that rabbi from Nazareth again. I, I, don't, I don't know. It's interesting. But here's a, a twist in the story. Look at, look at verse number 14. Um, the Bible goes on and says, Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. Now, this is a really highly commented verse of Scripture here, and it, it, it is interesting. Um, apparently, the Pharisees asking this question, the guy legitimately can't answer. I don't know who, I don't know who some guy came and said, take up your bed and walk, and I did it. You know, and he's the one that told me to do it. You know, and they're like, what, where are they going to go with it? So it appears they kind of had moved on. And now the Bible tells us Jesus findeth him. Now, we know he found him the first time. He sought him out and the man didn't. But now Jesus is seeking him out again. Now, I ask myself, why? Why do you think Jesus now is going looking for him again? Anybody? Yeah, I, I, I think if we're going to we'll discuss this here a little bit in the more in the moment, but I think you can have certainly a distinction between a physical healing and a spiritual healing. And I think that makes the most sense in the story. The reason Jesus does this is because he's not just interested in the physical healing, but the spiritual one. And as we've already identified, the guy didn't even know who he was. How could he place faith in Messiah when he doesn't know who he is? So Jesus now says, I'm going to go find him, and I'm so thankful. And, you know, if you're here tonight and you don't know Christ or you're watching online, you know, sometimes people just want God to do something for them that translates into this physical life. But God is interested in an eternal relationship, not just a temporal one. And so Jesus goes and finds him. Now notice something else that I thought was really interesting. Where does Jesus find this guy? In the temple. See it there? Jesus findeth him in the temple. Now, I think it's instructive to see where this man is at. Now, why do you think it's interesting or why do you think Jesus finds him in the temple? I know Jesus knew you know, in his deity. He knows where everybody is. You know, he's got life 360 on all of us. Um, so, you know, he knows. Think about that on Friday and Saturday night. He knows. Um, but why do you think he found him at the temple? All right, the, the lame man, uh, you know, his whole life, he, he was a Jew. He grew up probably hearing all about the only, he knew about Jehovah in the temple and he, he associated his healing with God. That's very possible. Anybody else? Yeah. Oh, that's a real good, that's a good, Rebecca said the confrontation with the Pharisees, which they were using for, intending for evil, Got the guy thinking, yeah, who was that guy? I need to figure out where this guy is. And where would I go to find somebody who just healed me of this whatever disease or issue he had? And as a Jew would have certainly thought it's a God thing. Where would you go? That, that's a that's a great. Anybody else? Good. I was, yes. Anna Mae. Aha. Yes. 
you read Leviticus, people who had these kind of issues were generally outcasts in society because remember, we studied this under Pharisaism way back in the early days of the, of the Life of Messiah series, but don't forget it. The Jewish mindset, and somewhat even to this day, is when you see somebody that is either financially or physically damaged, it always, it's a result of God judging either you for your sin or somebody in your, uh, down to the fourth generation. So when you were under that kind of thing, they looked at you as, you know, taboo. So if you got made well, then they, you know, and some of this was legitimate in terms of the Old Testament, said if somebody's broken, they can't come into certain parts of the temple because, you know, they're, 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 they don't represent wholeness. And they had to go through certain, certain uh, processes to be declared right, and they had to offer certain sacrifices. And I found it interesting you think with me, if you had been lame and pretty much removed from society for 38 years and you were given your legs back and made whole, where would you go first? You'd go to the temple? What a holy man over there. I don't think so. You might. You might. I'd... I'd Anybody else up before I give my opinion? Maybe else wants to say, you know, this is not a trick question. Yeah, Rob. Where? All right, you want to be back accepted? All right, anybody else? I think I think your anime is on a roll. At least you and I anime. We're can, wow, we got it. I'd want to go home first, wouldn't you? If you if people you hadn't been able to see your family, and sometimes these folks, the the family would. Again, it's hard for us in our culture to understand the pressures that were placed upon and the separations that were there. Um, you know, I might have been tempted to go home first, but I think Matt, you know, it's not wrong that, you know, the right thing to do is to go, you know, offer the offerings and be declared whole and be declared clean. I don't know if he would have had to offer maybe a sin offering, you know, maybe he offered one of those. There could have been a couple different ones. I don't know. I think in the rules of that day, he would have had to go show himself in front of some of the Pharisees there in the temple and say, see, I once, I'm I'm good now, you know, um, they, which I, I, and he goes there. Um, I also think there's certainly a point of it that he wanted to go thank and worship God and understand in the condition he was in, both because he was lame and because he was broken, he was, he was kept out of worship. He wasn't allowed to be part of it. And first thing he does is go in there. Now, Dr. Frutenbaum suggests, and I would agree with him, that this is where the man receives his spiritual healing. I think this is when the man finally figures out and Jesus tells him who he is. He figures it out. And um, I don't think he understood it all. And which, again, this is a really slippery slope. And many Christians, when I talk to them about, I ask them a question like this. It, <laughs> I say, what does a person have to believe to know they're really saved? Now, you think that was a simple question, but it isn't. And it's astounding to me how long the list is for some people. I don't think this guy understood a whole lot, but I think he understood that this was the God man. This was the Messiah. And I do believe he recognized I need not only a physical, but a spiritual healing. And I think that's why, and Dr. Frutenbaum says, that's why Jesus says, behold, thou art made whole. And it's in the perfect tense. Um, is this complete healing now that you are not just whole physically, but you're also now made whole spiritually because I do believe the man now demonstrates faith and says, yeah, I believe you are this, this, the Messiah. And 
I just thought to myself, this guy is a, this, this lame man is a challenge to all of us. You know, what if we had the gratitude that this guy's demonstrating? Um, you know, anytime you and I get filled with bitterness and a critical spirit and loss of joy, at some part of it is we have lost sight of what God has done for us. I'm sure the guy that was there for 38 years had some bad days after he got physically healed. But my guess is, <laughs> probably he would think to himself, but you know, laying there a bunch of, with a bunch of stinky leprous or what? well, not lepers, typically they'd have been kept outside, but a bunch of broken people for 38 years, this isn't all that bad today. And I think as Christians, spiritually speaking, we could, you know, use maybe a challenge. It, it, is it really all that bad? I know every one of us in here tonight, I'm guessing there's some part of your life right now or maybe somebody that you love deeply that you wish God would fix. Maybe it's a relationship thing. Maybe it's a physical thing. Maybe it's a financial, whatever. And um, sometimes for God's purposes, he chooses not to do that. But we never need, we never should forget that on our worst day on this, how they say it, the worst day in this life is the best day you'll ever have compared to anybody who's in hell. You know, and the best day you ever have in this life is a dumpster fire compared to the worst day in heaven. And we got better days ahead. But I figured he probably would have went to his family, but the spiritual mind, I think the reason he went to the temple is, as, as Anna Mae and Matt have indicated. But he also, Jesus goes on and says this next phrase to him, which is the one that all the smart guys argue about. He said, all right, you, you're made whole, verse 14, sin no more, lest the worst, worst thing come unto thee. What do you think that means? Why does Jesus say this to this guy? Anybody? Nobody has, nobody has any thoughts on this one? Again, I have no trick questions tonight, at least not intentionally. I have my Cocoa Melon Band-Aid on. So I'm, I can be trusted. Addie wanted me to wear this because I got an owie. So I'm wearing it. All the grandparents. Is that amen? Yeah, Sarah? Okay, I'm following you now. All right, Sarah said if... Yeah, came back in. Yeah, we're going to get to that. Dr. Arnold has a real definite interpretation of that, but the principle is the same. Um, Sarah said maybe he's being offered a, a choice now. Are you been given truth? Do you want more truth? Or do you want to live in rejection of truth and get more of that? Anybody else? That's good. Yeah, Rob? What has anything to do with having him check himself or his 
That's interesting. Um, have him check himself for his repentive heart. I guess. Okay. Okay, that he's, he's, again, no, we don't know that information, do we? Hey, Rob, Rob's saying that, it, that he, he, Jesus was challenging him again, that, all right, you've been given this, and now you have a choice to make on what you do from here. Would, you, would that be fair to say? Anybody else want to comment on that? we got a few more minutes left, otherwise we're right. Um, I, I'm going to give you one other commentator, somebody that I I like a lot. Um, he's one of my favorites that probably most of you have Warren Wearsby's. Anybody got, anybody got a lot of Warren Wearsby? I love Warren Wearsby's books. Unbalanced, pretty good. He's a conflicted Calvinist at times. But he's, he's, he's a, I like Wearsby. But he thinks the man may have not been saved and that Jesus is warning him that there's a worse thing than being lame. And worse than being lame is going to hell. Now, the problem with that is if you accept that premise, I would, if Warren, he's, and one day I can ask him, say, Warren, not, not 3.0 or 4.0. Is he, is he 1.0? Were you originally Whitby to Wearsby? It got changed somewhere, Warren said. Okay. So maybe you have rights to his royalties. You'd like that. Um, but if, if you accept that, He's basically making salvation based on not sinning. Would you like to know if you're going to heaven or not based on the fact that if I say don't sin no more, which is what we title tonight's Bible study, sin no more. Is there anyone in here tonight, I, this, is, this is a loaded question, that can say, yeah, after I got saved, I sin no more, or before I got saved, I sin no more. I think we're pretty good at sinning before we were saved and after we were saved. Now that gets into sanctification and being declared righteous, which we are in our standing. But ultimately, Dr. Wearsby, and, and I chose him because his was probably the most illustrative to the most common interpretation of this passage, was he was telling this guy, you know, if you keep sinning, you'll end up in hell. And the Calvinist would say, see, you got to persevere. But uh, I don't think it's a good comparison. Matter of fact, Wearsby goes on to use the comparison. Remember the one we already studied with the, the, lame, the other lame man that was born by four and dropped through the roof and was made whole? And, and Jesus, when he healed him, instead of saying, get better, you'll be made whole, Jesus said, thy sins be forgiven thee. Wearsby says, well, he didn't say that in this one, so therefore, you know, he wasn't really saved. And, and again, I, I, this is where most of the commentaries and most, some of my favorite ones, I'm just throwing this out there to you. Most American Western commentaries are very ignorant of the Jewish perspective. You just need to accept that fact. Because once you take the, the, the lame man, the, the paralytic was brought down through the roof, and why Jesus decided to initially say, thy sins be forgiven thee, when you understand why he says that specific phrase, that, that this is a whole different situation. The two are really not comparable. Jesus was doing a, making a point there that I'm God, and he quoted, he was basically referring to the Old Testament. If you want to go, go back in our Life of Messiah series to that, that Bible study, and you can, you can figure it out. I would agree with Bob Wilkin and his commentary says we do not escape hell by avoiding a life of sin because none of us can do that. 
Jesus came to wash away our sins. We have a struggle. Instead, Wilkins says, and I would lean his direction, that Jesus has temporal well-being in view for the believer or the unbeliever. If I were to ask you a question, does sin pay? Does sin pay? Does it pay to sin? I knew Brock, I knew you were Brock was going to say yes. I knew you were. I know you're the only one in here that's thinking that, but good, good. Um, you ever know anybody who lives a life of sin that seems to get away with it? Having a great time? I'm sorry, I've met some of those people. Now, the reality is, I would, one thing I would throw out to my dear colleague and esteemed friend Brock is I have met very few people around our age that lived an entire life of sin that come to the end of their life and are happy. By the way, I'm like, uh, what's his name? The, the, the great uh, Wild, the guy that wrote all those books. Uh, you know, he, he was miserable. He, I mean, he lived the life of hedonism his entire life and he got in the end and it was empty. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's, I, I don't even want to tell you. It's, it, but he's considered to be this great thinker. I have never met anybody that lived their whole life for themselves and full of sin that ends up at the end of their life really being all that happy. Usually they're bitter and empty and lonely. Because if you live for yourself, it leads to consequences. Short term, sin for a season, I'm with Brock. It can be a lot of fun. But over a pattern of time, no. And sin always destroys. I think Jesus has given him a new life here and saying, now don't blow it. Now, I know I'm out of time, but I'm going to take a couple minutes because this is important. One of the things, that now that I'm an older guy and I've been in ministry a long time, a principle that I've seen that is Proverbs, the Proverbs refer to this principle a couple times, but somebody who is bound in some deep brokenness or deep addiction, when God delivers them, they need to be really careful that they don't go back. Because it has been just my life experience that when people who've been bound in really deep sins decide to walk away in terms of living their life and the healing that they've been given, it's bad. They don't go back just a little bit. It usually starts that way. Satan deceives us. If I just do this just a little bit, I'll be okay. It doesn't take very long and you're back not only in bondage like you were, but you're worse. And even in terms of Christians, I believe that when I'm saved that because of the righteousness of Christ that I'm in him and I'm eternally secure. But I do know some folks that it is my humble opinion. I don't know. It's above my pay grade. I can't see anybody's heart. I can't see anybody's heart here tonight at all. So no judgment here other than to say this. Folks that I would think once upon a time made a legitimate profession of faith, when they go apostate, it is very difficult to return. And Jesus is telling him, be careful. Now, some people think, and this is very possible. We are not told all the backstory, but it is possible that the reason this guy got busted up for 38 years was because maybe he had a violent temper and he got into a conflict with somebody and he picked on a guy, you know, he picked on a guy like Big Mike size and Big Mike broke his back. And it was because of the guy's temper. And Jesus is saying, don't go play the fool again. Could be. Bottom line is I'm thankful for the daily grace and mercy of God. And um, that's a phrase you can continue to study on and, and, you know, 
If you got anything, let me know. But sadly, most commentaries turn this passage into a work salvation thing, which I think is unfair and uh, misleading. And then we're done tonight. Verse 15, the man departed and told the Jews it was Jesus which had made him whole. So now the guy does know who healed him. And the first thing he does, he goes and tells the Pharisees. Now, why does he go tell the Pharisees? Um, a lot of, again, a lot of debate. Has anybody, I got it real quick. Anybody think, why would he go tell the Pharisees? All right, they asked him. So he's, he's you know, so they're, they're, it's about a 50-50 split. A lot of the commentators say, well, the guy, you know, makes his first thing a bad choice and was, you know, turning on Jesus. He didn't want to face the pressure of identifying Jesus. I, Dr. Frutenbaum does not think that way. Dr. Frutenbaum would lean more towards, th they had asked him, and this guy was naive enough and excited enough. These guys wanted to know who made me whole, and now I know he's the Messiah. I got to go tell him. They're the religious leaders. If anybody who'd really want to know, they'd want to know, right? Nope. But he didn't know that. And so he was excited about it. And he goes and tells them, hey, I know, I know, I know. I, I think that's probably more, but that's mine. You can have your own opinion. I'll, I'll close this. I remember a really dear friend of mine um, who was bound in an addiction, uh, in, in a, uh, a bad addiction. And he got saved and God had delivered him. Well, this was many years ago. It wasn't here in Alabama. We were living in a different state. And he had been going to those, those secular meetings before, you know, to try to get deliverance. And they, you know, weren't working from them. And he got saved and he got delivered and, and he was all excited about it. And uh, so he thought it'd be a good idea. He comes into church one Sunday morning <laughs> and our pastor, who I was a, one of my mentors, I'm a very godly man, very seasoned man. I look back at him now and say, well, you're that age now, little silly. But at any rate, he goes and tells, he goes, you know what I did, pastor? And he goes, what'd you do? He goes, well, I know that, you know, what they need is Jesus, which is true. They need Jesus, they need Jesus. I need to tell them, I need to tell them. He goes, what'd you do? He goes, well, I took a bunch of the church tracks and I went down to the meeting place where everybody meets in that secular place and I went around to every car in the parking lot and I put a track under the windshield wiper of every single car. <laughs> Let's just say my pastor buddy, my pastor at that time got a few phone calls. <laughs> and the clinic there was not real happy with him. But his zeal, he found Christ and he wanted to tell someone. Amen. All right. Thank you for tuning in tonight. We'll pick things up again here next week in our Life Messiah series. We'll see you uh, Sunday. If you're watching your local, don't forget the men's meeting tomorrow night at Pastor Danny's house. Diamond. No, didn't they cancel the diamond dinner? They canceled the diamond dinner because I keep thinking that the sickness is going to finally get out of our church and it just won't let go. You know, so everybody be nice. Get better. So anything else I need to announce or anything? Saturday, something going on Saturday? Young adults, the next, next group, this Saturday, not next Saturday, it's this Saturday next. Got it. What, what time? Next time. What, six o'clock. It's on the website or on, the, on, our, on our Facebook page or on our website. Pastor Danny says so. All right, well, let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Lord, thank you for the... Uh, word tonight. Thank you for the preservation of your word. Thank you for the testimony of this lame man and uh, Lord help us be reminded of uh, how we've been healed and that the new opportunity and responsibility we have would help us not get bound in things that um, are going to lead us to destruction, physical destruction 
uh, in this life, but help us to live faithfully. Thank you for your deliverance. Thank you for every person here and those who are watching online or listening on audio. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being here. See ya.